0: Ruth 4, 1 to 22, which is all of Ruth 4. So get comfortable. It's a new season here at Region, chapters at a time. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here, and he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here, so they sat down. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Melon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Methlon, I have brought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezrod fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David.
1: Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask God for your leading, your guidance, for you to speak to us through it. And we ask God that you would help us not to just gain more knowledge or just for conviction to happen within us, but that there would be change that would result because your word is true and it's penetrating our heart, mind, soul, spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. To remind us of the context of Ruth, we need to remember that this was in the time of the Judges. And Judges is the book right before Ruth. And to get an idea of what was happening back then, let's look at the last chapter, the last verse of the book of Judges. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. And this is what the verse reads. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So in other words, this is a time of just utter chaos. And this was how it was in the time of Ruth. And so this chaotic time of political instability, civil unrest, rampant immorality, idolatrous living, social disintegration. And it wasn't any better outside of those communities as well because outside of the community of the Israelites was war and death. And so this was just a horrible time in the Israelite history. And in this time comes this beautiful story of Ruth. Now Ruth is just this wonderful story of redemption. If you missed any part of the series, that's only five sermons. It's not like Luke where it was a hundred and something. Ruth is five. And you can listen back onto iTunes through our webpage. You can listen to that. So this story is just a story of everyday people just like you and me who have to face life regardless of how difficult those circumstances might be because oftentimes in life we're dealt just unfavorable circumstances and so how do we go about living in those times when we face times of chaos or disarray or uncertainty or loss and who do we turn to what do we do where do we go in our grief and in our bereavement how do we live through that So may we be reminded of God's presence in the darkest times, even in the darkest times, which may be challenging because we have such evil that is present in our world today. And it was the same as it was in the time of the judges as well. What Ruth and Naomi were experiencing in the time of the judges is really similar. And if you look at any time frame in the period of the world, any era, there hasn't been an era or period of history where we can say that evil was not present within that generation. It's just never existed. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't present then and He isn't present now or will be present in the future. If He is present, where is He? How do we figure out where He is? And I can tell you that usually He's not often where we look. Now in the book of Ruth, it's Bethlehem. Not some powerful empire, not some powerful city, Just this small agricultural town. He's not revealed through some powerful people, but through this farmer in Boaz and this foreigner in Ruth. And so in the presence of evil, thank God for his plan of redemption. Thank God that he uses the smallest of things to bring about glory and honor for himself. So when we ask ourselves, where is God? Because oftentimes we have to ask that when we see in light of the evil that is present in our world, where is he? He's probably not where you and I expect him to be. Where was the king of the Jews when the wise men were looking for him? Where did they go? They go to Herod's palace where a king was expected to be. But where was Jesus? Where was the king of the Jews born? And you have to go back to Bethlehem. It's a cave. A cave that was used to house animals. So no one expects a king to be there. Where are the people looking for God today? I think oftentimes people are looking for God in politics. I think they're even looking for God in the church or the clergy. But sometimes he's not there because the clergy or the politician aren't truly representative of God. Perhaps God is in the bar or in the park or in your workplace. Maybe people look for God behind the pulpit when he's actually in the pews. He wasn't on some down-filled mattress as a baby. He was in a stone-hewn manger. A feeding trough for animals. He wasn't on a palatial throne as a man. He was hanging on a cross. And maybe when people look for God, they're looking for Him at the wrong places. So also, as we look in Ruth, we find God in an unexpected place. In a place that we wouldn't expect Him to be. Like the threshing floor. So here, chapter 3 ended with Boaz and Ruth. They had this meeting in the darkness on the threshing floor. And after their meeting, she went home to Naomi, who told Ruth in chapter 3, verse 18, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So in other words, Ruth, you need to chill. I mean, you just need to chill out right here. And so after this dramatic event and evening, she came home with the six measures of barley, which she gave to Naomi, and and that gave Naomi some insight into Boaz's intention. That Boaz wasn't going to procrastinate about this. He was going to act on this, and he was going to redeem her without any delay. And Naomi was right about this. Here we go, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now the gate was a strategic place to put oneself as this was the place that everyone would come and go. And this was the place where a ruling for him would be reached. This is kind of the courtroom for people as well. It was the area of the city that acted as their business center, as their marketplace, as their law room, as their civic center. A place where the law was administered and the business conducted. So. A kind of an outdoor court where these judicial matters were resolved by the elders, and those who earned the respect and the confidence of the people, they would rule amongst the people there. And so this was a forum to have these sorts of public meetings. And to give you an idea of this picture, you can look back to Job chapter 29, verses 7 through 8, and this is what it reads in Job. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood. So it gives you this idea of this place of prominence, of this place of respect, of this place where these types of things would happen. Or you can look at Proverbs chapter 31, verse 23, where it reads, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So this is a place of prominence. This is a place of authority. The gates were a central place of commerce, government, legal matters, and the people residing over such matters would be found at the gates. And you notice that Boaz and the other Redeemer both sit at the gate with the elders, which is a testament as to who these men are, their stature, their character, their place amongst the elders of the land described in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 23. Why was Boaz there? Why was he at the gates? Well, Boaz wanted to do the honorable thing. He wanted to do the proper thing. Back in chapter 3, verse 12, Boaz said, and now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, but you know, he had to follow kind of the process that was laid out before him. He wanted to be an honorable man and he had to go about the proper channels as to how he was going to go about doing that. He recognized that there was a Redeemer that was nearer to Naomi and Ruth than he was, and that he had to conduct himself in an honorable way to kind of get this matter situated and ruled upon by the elders and not just run forward with it. So he went to the city gate, conducted this matter in an honorable and proper way, and this is a question we're constantly confronted with. Are the decisions that we make honorable and proper? Are we cutting things short, doing things the easy way, and just making them more convenient for us? See, Boaz was a man of integrity. Honoring God's law was central to his life, and he wanted to exhibit that godly character. And he wasn't going to let his emotions run his life even though Ruth is hot. And he wants to be with her, and he's a young woman, an older guy, and he's like, she's really cute but uh, I need to take care of this right. So not only did he do that for himself, but he also encouraged Ruth to do the same. Right? We need to do the right thing. So how much heartache could be prevented if we did the honorable and proper thing? If we did the right thing? How many relationships would have started and not started if we did the honorable and proper thing? So in looking at your future spouse, whoever that may be, do the honorable and proper thing. You know what the Word of God lays out for you. You know what it says in terms of fornication. You know what it says in terms of doing honorable and proper things. You know those things. And let your gut help you. Right? Don't ignore it. Sometimes that gut is saying, like, don't do it. Listen. Or do that. Listen. And and don't just kind of go with your hormones right and let wise people speak into your life pray to God study the scripture study his word and intertwine all of those things and make the honorable and the proper decisions and if there are contradicting elements within your decision process it's probably best not to act on that decision until you can get more peace and harmony between all those different elements So you see how things are working together for Ruth and Boaz. Back in chapter 2, verse 2, Ruth said, let me go find favor. And then in verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. So you see the harmony in all of this is coming together for Ruth and Boaz. I'm going to go find favor, and she happened to find favor. And then Boaz in chapter 4 was essentially going to the gate to find favor. It's the same thing that Ruth was doing, going there. He set out, he went, gleaned at the gate after the elders, and he happened to come to the part of the gate where the other Redeemer was. So you see God's hand in this, in his orchestration and his providence and conducting their marriage to one another. It's not forced, it's not manipulated. You know, it's going to find favor, and let's see what God does with this. So, the other Redeemer and the ten elders sat down to talk about this matter. Now, notice that the other Redeemer's name is not given by the author. I find that interesting. We don't know his name, even though Boaz knows his name for sure. I mean, this is a really close relative, right? If you don't know your relative's names, you got issues. Are you like, hey, bro? Don't you do that at a church, like when you forget someone's name? Hey, brother. Or, hi, sister, how can I pray for you? You know, you, I know that whenever somebody says that to me, like, hey, bro, you don't know my name. You don't know my name. And so when I do that to you, I don't know your name. Like, <laughs> Sorry. I used to be so good at knowing people's names, and now I'm so bad. So I, I'm going to guess Michael for guys and Jennifer for women. But that's what I'm going to guess. So why isn't his name recorded? Because names are really important, right? At the end of this chapter, you get all those names, all that lineage. Why isn't this guy's name recorded? I think the author is trying to get something across here. And I don't know the reasons why, but maybe it's to save face. Because he made this kind of decision to let Boaz go ahead and take care of Naomi and Ruth. Maybe it was judgment upon the author. in your trying to save face and you're trying to preserve your name. I'm not even going to record it here. No one's going to know your name. People are going to know Boaz's name. I don't know. The author just doesn't record it. And for me, I'm thinking it is because he didn't have a desire to carry on Elimelech's name. And so this is a kind of, uh, well, you don't want to carry on Elimelech's name? Your name's not getting carried forward. No one's going to know your name. One of the most honorable things in that this is why they wanted the name carried forward is, is that's an honorable thing. To carry forward your relatives' names. And so here, your name's going to be stamped out because you're selfish. You don't want to help Elimelech? We're not even going to know your name. How many of us are concerned for our name and self-preservation or our family and our safety and, and our assets when there are many more noble things, honorable things to concern ourselves with like other people? But we're so concerned with ourselves. And the very thing we often try to salvage is the very thing that we will lose when we forget how important character is and honor is and integrity See see, the law was very clear in how families were to take care of one another, especially the widow. And here there's two. This is a big time dropping the ball here. I mean, these women were supposed to be taken care of. And people like them who are in need of help. And the brother of the deceased husband had a duty to marry the widow and to care for the assets of the deceased. And how that duty moved on down the kindred line. If one couldn't meet it, then it would kind of move on down the kindred line. And so this is what's happening here. There's the bro, and then there's Elimelech. So the next of kin in this situation with Naomi was this man that Boaz met along with the ten elders, who we don't know his name. We're going to call him... Broaz, we'll call him Broaz. And so after this man, the next in line was Boaz. And what the kinsman redeemer was to do was carry on the family name and the family assets, which was what happened here in verses 3 through 10. This is the negotiations. Let's just read through verses 3 through 6 first. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. I don't think... Boaz was being sneaky here I'm thinking Boaz was really on the lookout for Naomi and Ruth and he probably thought you don't have any idea what you're getting into and you need to know that you need to care for these people so here's the situation then the Redeemer said I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it So there was a duty to perpetuate the name by the Redeemer as well as steward the assets of the deceased. The other relative, Broaz, did not want to do that. But what we kind of get a sense of in these verses is that he was interested in the money. Right? He he wanted those assets. But not so much perpetuating the name of Elimelech. When he found out that Ruth came along with the package, uh uh-uh. When Boaz began speaking to the other relative, he first mentioned Naomi and the assets that came along with her. And he seemed interested in that, though. He wanted that. Why? She's old. When she's dead, he probably already knew he didn't have any sons. When she's dead, that's all mine. That parcel of land, it's all mine. All the money is mine. And so the other relative was all about increasing his estate. And it probably would have been an easy transaction if that were the case. If Naomi was the only person there in Elimelech's family. She was older and no sons because they all died off. All of what Elimelech had would end up with his family. But when he found out that there was a young widow, one of his daughter-in-laws, Ruth, she's going to come along with you. She comes along with the land. That changes everything. Why? Because she can pop out babies. And she's really young. She's a teenager. She can pop out lots. (laughs) Right? So, if she can have quite a few babies, and she's young, all those children will have children. And those children will have children. He's not getting the whole thing. He's not going to get the whole parcel. He has to share that. Which meant that the assets he received from Naomi, yeah, if that was just Naomi, that would add to my wealth, that would add to my estate. But who knows if that would be enough to comfortably provide for my current family in the future. Because if Ruth is with us and she starts to have children and her children start to have children, I don't even know if that's going to be enough. Who knows if that's going to be enough? And yeah, Elimelech's name's going to continue, but that's going to dilute my estate. What I have for my current family, I kind of have control over that. I know that if I have a million and I have two children and this, and okay, that's all right, I'm, I'm, I'm situated. But if I add this other person, I have no idea. I have no idea, so no thanks. You can have it. I have my thing and I know it. It's predictable. I know my kids, I know my grandkids, I'm good to go. Verses 7 through 10. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Machlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Machlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Done. This is an awesome way to do business. Not tons and tons of hours going over legal contracts. It's just like, take my shoe. (laughs) Take it. Take it. And then it's done. I mean, they're done, right? And it wasn't that this was meaningless or that it didn't have a legal binding. There were these witnesses, right? These ten elders who heard what the deal was and they saw this tangible transaction between the relatives and it was actually quite meaningful and it was actually very legally binding a pretty memorable thing don't you think somebody hands you your shoe you don't have a shoe you're walking on dirt and you're being reminded like i gave that away yeah um ouch that hurt and there's a stone and it's like it's ingrained and the guy's seeing this like yeah he took his shoe it's there so they can just say like hey um there's a dispute amongst whose land it is and stuff like that. So who has the shoe? He has a shoe. Like, come on. That's it. I have the shoe. And so the tangible symbol of a very important event. And the Bible is full of this rich symbolism, isn't it? There's a ton of rich symbolism in the Bible. When Ruth asked Boaz to cover her with his wings in chapter 3, verse 9, it wasn't like Boaz was a bird. Like, like you know. Just a, a symbolism. It's symbolism. It's not Birdman, right? So it's symbolism. He was the legitimate Redeemer, and she was seeking protection. So it's the symbolism of that protection. And we as Christians, we, we have this rich symbolic practice or practices. We have quite a few baptism. Baptism, a symbolism of, of dying to my old self and coming out anew following Jesus or, or communion a symbolism of unity that we as sinful people have a communion with the holy god and and with each other that can continue on marriage right symbolism within the elements of marriage itself like the exchange of rings and what those rings symbolize and and we have these tangible symbols so rich in symbolism to share a deeper meaning of what those things are and so here we have this exchange of a shoe in verses 9 and 10 we also have boaz's last words and i want to point out in verse 10 why boaz married ruth the other relative was concerned about assets wealth his estate but this is why boaz married ruth To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this native place. You are witnesses this day. He did it because it was the honorable thing. It was the righteous thing. He wasn't looking at his pocketbook. He wasn't looking at, well, I don't know what's going to happen to my estate if I take this on. Boaz sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things were added to him. Ruth was an added blessing. And they were the great-grandparents of King David and of the family lineage to Jesus Christ. See, Boaz did the honorable and the righteous thing, and God honored him for doing that. See, Boaz was the man. You know the term boo? That's my boo. That came from Boaz. Boaz, Boaz, right? This is what it is. This is the original boo. Right? And so, I have three girls. I have a fourth on the way. How am I going to direct them as a father in terms of what to look for in a husband? Boaz. Booyah. Boaz, right? He's the model for us to study, guys. Guys... If you're looking, how what kind of a husband am I to be? What, what kind of direction do I need? Look at the book of Ruth and study Boaz. This is the man. All right, verses 11 through 13. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son." God's providence just continuing in Ruth's life. God's grace and redemptive heart continuing to show itself in Ruth's life. And what a difference in Ruth's life from just a few chapters ago. She was a poor, widowed foreigner who showed up with her elderly mother-in-law and now take a look at her. Look at her now. Verses 14 and 15. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Man have things changed for Ruth and Naomi. Back from chapter 1. And look what they say about her. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. Ruth is a foreigner no more. Ruth is a stranger no more. She is not an alien anymore. And what she said in chapter 1, verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. That all happened and she stuck to her word. She left all that was familiar to her, arrived as a foreigner, and now she's one of them. You see that transition happen? She's no longer a stranger. She is one of them. In chapter 2, verse 10, she said to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her in verse 11, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Do you see what's happened from back then to now? She's not a stranger anymore. She is one of them. How are we doing as a church in regards to this? Are people still just foreigners as they visit time after time? Are they still alien? How have we included them in the faith community to make them feel like a stranger no more? That you are not alien. That you are not a foreigner when you come through here. You and I have the same redeemer. We are kin. And so we see here how Ruth was blessed by God for acting honorably and boaz recognized that in chapter 3 verse 10 may you be blessed by the lord ruth and boaz both honorable people both people who look to do the right thing blessed by god for their honorable living and when we look at malachi chapter 3 verse 10 which is in the context of giving of sacrifice of generosity of honorable living which are all part of honorable living and giving not just in terms of finances, but of one's life and resources. It reads this, Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Live in accordance to God's Word. Live an honorable life in the eyes of God and see what the Lord will do. Pour down blessing until there is no more need. God honors our faithfulness to His instructions. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 29-30, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for My sake and for the Gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Honorable living in accordance to God's Word. A time for us to take inventory of our personal lives and our life as a church community of how we're living honorably. You see how far Ruth has come from chapter 1 to chapter 4 from this sadness and grief and bereavement in chapter 1 to joy, happiness, and celebration in chapter 4. This is the last words that we hear from Ruth. Verses 16-17. through 17. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They call him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi has come a long way as well. Right? You remember Naomi back in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21? So the two of them went out until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasant, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So, do you have this picture of this bitter woman in Naomi in chapter 1? Do you have that picture? Her husband is dead, her sons are dead someone who's just totally defeated, someone who's totally broken, and she's entering into Bethlehem totally disappointed with life. And maybe some of you feel like this, that things just haven't turned out very well for you. Things that you had hoped for, they're not happening, and life so far has been pretty disappointing. And perhaps Naomi and Ruth can serve as an encouragement to you because their lives in chapter 1 pretty disappointing and it covers the spectrum because Naomi was an elderly woman and Ruth was a fairly young woman in her early teens so wherever you are in life in that disappointment whether you're young or you're more mature and you're further along in life it covers that gamut they're both disappointed with life here but then you fast forward to chapter four and you look at them now and just looking at Naomi check out how good it is people are mistaking grandma for mama A son has been born to Naomi. I think Naomi was a hot grandma too. So I think, you know, she's beaming. She's full of life. She was caring for her grandbaby and her disappointment has turned into fulfillment. And it's not because she's a grandmother or that she has a grandbaby, right? Baby Obed was just a piece of God's redemptive work in Naomi's life. God's redemptive work was in His grace in His provision, in His protection, His mercy, and His love towards Naomi throughout her life. Even back when she was doing the wrong sort of thing when the famine occurred and they took off and they left the people they were to care for and they went to a land that was forbidden. They went to Moab. You know, there's some pretty poor choices being made there. These bad decisions that we make. right? God is present through it all. And as his child, your time of redemption, that will reveal itself. Keep your faith. Keep your hope. He is present throughout your life, and we can't just take pictures of a present darkness or uh, pictures of our present circumstances to be representative of our entire life. We can't do that. You're here, you're here right now. You survived your teenage years. For some of you, that's a miracle right? You are here. And so God's plan with you is not done. His redemption is not done with you. Obed wasn't just a baby that was going to be Naomi's new idol. Obed was a sign of God's grace, of God's redemption. He was going to carry on the name of Elimelech. He was going to be a tangible symbol of God's care, provision, protection, restoration, nurturing of Naomi and God had this bigger plan because baby Obed wasn't just a sign of God's grace and redemption to Naomi he was a sign of redemption and grace to the world as through him would come King David and then King Jesus it wasn't just for Naomi this is for the world verses 18 through 22 Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You see how important names are? They're going name by name by name. And so that Broaz guy, you're out. You're not mentioned at all. You will be forever known as Broaz, right? Naomi was the great, great grandma of King David. The woman who raised Obed, King David's grandfather. And so you look at the family lineage of Jesus and it directly traces back to Naomi and Ruth. Two poor widows who came to Bethlehem looking for a new life. Ruth, who faithfully followed her mother-in-law, listened to her wisdom, acted upon it. Now what if Ruth didn't listen to Naomi? What if she didn't go out looking for favor as she did in chapter 2 and just kind of sat back and just said, oh, you know, we're just going to resort to this kind of a life and not do anything. What if she wasn't a person of faith? And Naomi was no longer Mara. She was no longer bitter. She was given a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that she may be called an oak of righteousness. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3. See, that's what happens when you meet your Redeemer. God is a God of redemption. All of history is about God's redemption. You look at what John recorded for us in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9-10. through 10. When a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their heads, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, God will redeem His children. There's a not yet aspect to your redemption. Some of you feel totally redeemed right now. Awesome. Some of you are in a darker place and you just don't know what's going on. There's a not yet aspect to the redemption. Like here in Revelation chapter 7. And Ruth was a part of this redemption story as she was part of the family lineage of where Jesus came from. Jesus, the story of the Gospel. God took a heathen, a Moabite, Ruth, whose people were hostile towards the Israelites and their God, and touched her life through Naomi because even Elimelech's poor decisions couldn't prevent that. He's that gracious And so those guys moved to Moab. Moab, a place where God told His people to stay away from. But Elimelech went there anyway. And He approved His sons marrying Moabite women, which was not a wise idea because in all likelihood, they would pull them away from God to worship the Moabite gods. But you see how God redeemed all those poor decisions, all those foolish decisions, and Ruth played a huge role. Ruth played the role of Grandma to David. And then Jesus. God's purposes will be fulfilled. He is a God of redemption. And you look at Ruth. You look at Naomi. You look at yourself. God knows you very intimately just like He knew those women. He loves you just as much as He knew and loved Ruth. It's the same with you. And we have a Redeemer that we can turn to. So the question for you is, where are you looking You'll probably find him in the place where you need a Redeemer, in your brokenness. You're not going to find him in the palace. You're not going to find him in the throne. And so sometimes we kind of wonder why are we going through the things that we're going through? Why are times so dark for us? Why is life so disappointing? It's because you and I need a Redeemer, and that's where we're going to find him. Let's pray father thank you so much for redeeming us for redeeming our lives because we've been separated from you because of our sin but yet you have this grand plan to redeem us through jesus christ who paid the penalty for those sins so that we can have communion with you that you look upon us as righteous Whereas without Jesus, we are still looked upon as unrighteous and there is no possibility of communion, fellowship, connectedness, intimacy with a holy God without Jesus. So thank you so much, Lord, for our Redeemer who comes to redeem us without delay, who hung on the cross and resurrected in the eyes of many as witnesses. Just as Boaz entered the gate to be in front of ten elders, Jesus, you lived amongst us 2,000 years ago, revealed yourself to thousands of people, died in front of thousands, rose in front of thousands, ascended in front of thousands. And so, Lord, may we really understand that. In Jesus' name, amen.